Welcome back to Potted a Podcast. It's now September, and we're back in the recording studio after a bit of a summer hiatus. You might have noticed that we slowed down on our release schedule a little over the summer, but we do have a few episodes in the edit that we'll catch up on posting soon when we get into a more regular rhythm in the fall. Speaking of which, I'm super excited for the fall performance season. It's my way of dealing with the fact that summer is almost ending. Yeah, I'm really disappointed about summer ending, which I never have been before. It's always like, as soon as a new season starts to kick in, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I needed a change. But this year, for the first time in my life, I'm just like really sad. Yeah, well, you had a really fun summer. I feel like in general, we had a very fun summer, as it was called the Summer of Yes. Yeah, our listeners don't know about Summer of Yes. This was our tagline for the summer. I don't know how you and our other friends even came up with it randomly one night, but... Yeah, it sort of happened. It's a good one. I think Mm -hmm. the idea is like, say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. And we have. And see what happens. So what's on the docket for fall? Please, make me feel better. (laughs) So... Oh my gosh, it's almost overwhelming. I feel like I need a full day just to schedule my life. Yeah. Um, but just at BAM and The Joyce alone, there are so many shows. Oh. At BAM, I would really like to see Taiwan's Cloudgate Feeder. Um, Sean Curran is performing at BAM. So is Senkai Juku, which I saw a couple of years ago. or Maybe that was five years ago. But they're a really cool Buto performance group. Very oh. beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to that. What's Buto? It's a really slowed down version of dance. Um, It Mm. has a little bit of German expressionism in it. But maybe you've seen it. They wear all white Mm. and they move kind of slowly but in a very expressive way. I'm probably not doing it any justice, but... Interesting. It's a very, very interesting performance group, and wow, I would highly suggest seeing them. I was actually almost in tears at the end of their performance. Wow. I'd love to. Um, I'll jump on that with you. And Wendy Whelan and Jack Soto is doing something interesting. I don't know if I fully understand what it is that they're doing at BAM, but I'd like to check it out just to see. Mm-hmm. And... Um, also, German choreographer Sasha Waltz is performing at BAM, hmm. and that looks like um, it should be interesting. I saw her company perform at BAM a couple years ago, and there was a lot of nudity. Really? And provocative dance, but it was really cool. Ooh. Um, and at the Joyce, there's also a few things. There's Batsheva performing Deca dance, which we've all seen 50 times. Um, and Aparna Ramaswamy. Hmm. which is Indian classical dance. Um, I've never seen her perform, but it sounds like it would be very interesting. So I'll probably see that. Abraham in Motion is also performing at the Joyce, which I would love to see. Hmm. Galene Dance. Um, Daniil Simkin's Intensio, which was at Jacob's Pillow this summer, but we miss Jacob's Pillow. I'm so sad about that. I mean, we had the best summer, but I I feel really sad yeah. that we didn't make it. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of performances. And yeah. there's also the French Institute Alliance Francoise Crossing the Line 2015 hmm. um, festival, which is going on, I think, starting in a couple of weeks. Oh. And that's a lot of conceptual dance like Jack Fervor and Miguel Gutierrez. Um, so I think I'll see a couple of those as well. So overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> so much to see. And Fall for Dance is coming up. Uh 
Tickets go on sale Sunday. Of course, once this is released, uh, that will be a long time ago. And I might check it out, but I don't know. I might be over Fall for Dance, too. It's very hard to get tickets and very crowded. And at this point, I'd kind of rather just see the full-length show with mm-hmm. a lot of artists. But I think I'll, I'll take a look uh, what's available. Yeah. Uh, a, uh, NYCB, actually, I think is doing Swan Lake. Um, so I'm pretty curious. I might, I might see that. Yeah. Bunhead speaking here we should totally see it yeah it's my favorite ballet i hate to be so cliche but it's just so haunting and enchanting we've talked about this before so anytime i see someone doing it these days i'm thinking oh i should probably see like as many renditions as i can and really get familiar and compare them and contrast them all right so today we're feeling very lucky to have finally snagged the incredibly innovative hilarious and truly one-of-a-kind jamie benson for an interview on the homepage of Jamie's website, jamiebenson.com, you'll see the tagline, Defying Expectations in Dance Daily. And in my opinion, that is exactly what Jamie does. He's a very talented dancer and choreographer, but he doesn't limit himself to dancing or choreographing within um, what I would think of as sort of the confines of a traditional dance institution. Instead, he invents comedic pieces uh, that are rooted in everyday experiences. He creates dance films, and he runs the Shakedown Dance Collective, which is an all-inclusive group designed to gift literally anyone with professional performance opportunities. Um, I find that fascinating, so I can't wait to hear more about all of that. And actually, I met Jamie at a dance film screening over a year ago, uh, where he was showing his charming short film, First Thing. Um, And at that point, I was just immediately intrigued by his creative and very entertaining approach to movement. So we're really looking forward to learning more about Jamie's vision and all of his endeavors. Welcome, Jamie. It's me. I'm here. Thank you very much for having me. Yay! (laughs) And I, I, I should have mentioned, it took us... It took us over four or five months, maybe over six months, to schedule this because New Yorkers, New Yorkers, well, and the <laughs> be summer busy. was incredible. We all yeah. sort of we heard about that, so there was a lot mm-hmm. going on. There always is mm-hmm. New York summer. So finally, yay, you're here, Eureka! <laughs> so uh, we always open with just some background on your dance training. Tell us how you got started in dance. Okay, uh, I'm going to attempt a Cliff Notes version <laughs> here. All right, I think it started with. Um, me just being the life of the party in middle school, which then developed oh. into a jazz studio baby thing in high school and also a dance team celebrity of sorts. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then that I went to Cornish College of the Arts in Seattle after that, mm-hmm. which is where I sort of got down and dirty and played on the floor more. Mm-hmm. And then I had a sort of I never know how to term this like a lost period, I would say, where huh. I left school going, huh, what do I I don't know how to quantify this. I, I don't mm-hmm. expect it to make money. I'm poor and I'm 21 or whatever. <laughs> uh, and I just didn't know if the modern dance concert scene was for me or mm. what to do with it. So actually my best dance years, I was just sort of like, huh? Yeah. Uh, and I did end up sort of tripping into some semi-legitimate situations. Um, one Notably, uh, Rudy Perez, who was one of the founders of Judson Church. Okay. Mm. So I got roped into the postmodern thing. That's great. Yeah, mm. and it was very exciting. Um, and I think part of my uh, compulsion to do gestures comes from that ah. experience, too. Um, compulsion to do gestures. Like, yeah, I like, can see that from having watched your right. films and your so work. So I've noticed this after the fact. Oh, maybe that's where some of that, that was, you mm. know originated from Mm -hmm. uh and uh, i just sort of was unsatisfied with the 
work I was, the non-union work I was getting in LA. And so I just started making work that I wanted to see. And Very cool. years later, here we are. Ta-da. Oh. So I'm still curious if we rewind a bit. We can. To mm-hmm. middle school, you were the life of the party. I believe that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think even our listeners just hearing hearing you will understand. But how did that segue into a dance team and actually pursuing dance? Did somebody say, hey, you should try dance? Or did you think of it? Because this is just not a normal thing for I a little kid. I think what happens, which is as as glorious as it is frustrating, is that there's a calling. I'm using quote fingers because I don't know. We <laughs> feel cool. called to this thing. No one would sure. choose to pursue dance in a really, like, okay, maybe high school, but mm-hmm. in a really serious way as an adult. You sort of just fall head first into it and realize, oh, mm. this is my, I'm living for what's happening right now. And mainly what would happen in middle school is a lot of the social gatherings were dances. That was the only yeah. sort of thing we did. And so I just happened to find out that I wasn't saying I'm just so charming and so um, large that people just gravitated toward me. It was because yeah. it was a dance floor and that I figured out right then and there that this was something I love to do and people yeah. were responsive to it. And so mm-hmm. I think that just snowballed into, oh, well, I'm the dan- I'm the dance guy. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, well, I'm going into high school. And there's this, it was a, awesome. it was a high school dance team, but it was like a champion, you know, pretty jazzy, not like mm. pom-poms and, and, and what <laughs> have you. So right. uh, mm-hmm. sort of, it's just sort of snowballed into that. Mm. So you got your initial training in jazz in high school. In totally. Dance team. I was hardcore Very jazz cool. baby. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's funny because I still partly define myself that way, although I rarely dance like that anymore. And in mm. fact, find myself flustered when watching purely jazz things. Mm. So, or like music video style dancing, which I enjoy on some level, but I just don't want to do that. Interesting. But it definitely was part of my origin or yeah. one of many origins. Yeah. yeah. The origin story. Yeah. yeah. I was really happy to hear your term, the lost years. Yeah. <laughs> um, only because I'm so glad to hear you were happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. I want. That's good. Let's talk about it. Let's heal me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're all about. <laughs> Group therapy begins now. Let's do it. So I feel like so many dancers can relate to that, and you just put the perfect term on it. I myself, after college, just felt totally lost. Like, I want to take class, but I can't actually afford the classes. That was the other problem, yes. <laughs> totally. How do you do that? Yeah. Unless you come from wealth or... I, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, you just don't do it. And and then you don't get immersed with all those choreographers that are actually making work. And, of course, they're hiring the people they've been working with in class. And so totally. you, you're you just shut out kind of immediately. Totally. And what do you do? And those are your prime years. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're too young to appreciate that. Right. You at have that no idea. point. Oh, right. You still feel like you're invincible invinci- forever. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. Yeah. So... Again, this is something that so many dancers can relate to, but I don't think anyone talks about in Mm -hmm. such an open way. Um, How do you feel college has not or has prepared you for the real story, the lost years that many dancers go through? It's so funny because even during my college years, I mean, I'm a contrarian Mm -hmm. just by nature, so I want to butt up against things, but Mm -hmm. I also immediately realized okay, the training was good, and I recognized that, so that kept me in it. You know, you like to dance, and you, you feel like you're getting something out of the classes. Mm-hmm. But then it was sort of a conservatory-type atmosphere where it was all dance 24 hours a day. It wasn't, 
I didn't read Satra. I didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> expand my mind beyond the sort of really singular idea of what is it to dance and what is it to make dances, which is great to focus mm -hmm. like that. But even within that system, I felt that essentially they were preparing me to run my own non-lucrative modern dance company. Essentially, that's oh. what I felt like they were doing. Yeah. But there was not any word of marketing and development. Totally. How do you fundraise for such a thing? How do you wrap your brain around a brand? Totally. And of course, you know, dancers and artists are uh, quick to scoff at the even idea of doing that, mm -hmm. which is a disservice, and that needs to be broken open right then and there. Absolutely. When you're mutable like that. Um, and I think to this day, I am a marketing development professional mm -hmm. in my daily life, and I think that there's some kind of vindication I'm looking for, you know, or, or I'm almost doing it to, in spite, to spite them, you know, uh. like... Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn everything about this and I'm going to learn how to be heard above the deafening roar of the internet and which we didn't know about at the time, but what became <laughs> dot, Aging dot, dot. All of us so I think that's part of the circle I'm trying to complete. Yeah. That's um, That makes so much more sense now because I got a newsletter from you recently. Mm -hmm. um, Jamie knows that I've been stalking his newsletters. That's been the that's not basis true. of she our relationship She is generously allowing year. me to invade her <laughs> inbox. Exactly. Um, yeah. But you mentioned something about starting like a list for a, sp a separate list for marketing for people who want marketing advice fyi people jbbenson.com if you want marketing advice yeah free marketing <laughs> advice for now for now i'm doing like a, a small focus group sort of thing where i am developing informal courses like step by step how do let's start let's talk about it where do you start cool. and each email is going to con like you're going to conquer one little aspect whether it's I'm going to use jargon now, get ready, avatar research, or, you know, how to write a hook, or the six principles of influencing other. Like, we're going to break it down. Okay, how do you make a landing page that works, mm -hmm. you know, to convert you know, leads and into clients and that sort of thing. And they're all mainly creative people. And in the mm -hmm. 21st century, we're in a position where everyone needs some kind of PR help. Everyone, whether it's for your blog, your Etsy store, whatever, mm -hmm. this podcast, what mm -hmm. we all have mm -hmm. things we need others to know about. And the problem is that it's so much static and noise mm -hmm. online. How do you rise above it? And I find it really empowering me personally. So and obviously I like to talk and share ideas. So I, I want to get as much as I can out, organize it, get feedback from them, hear their personal stories, mm -hmm. get anecdotes and testimonials also. <laughs> And then be ready to sort of launch this work that I do in a bigger, more uh, monetized way. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the plan. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. So it sounds like you've really found your niche and what you enjoy doing, but are also to make money doing, which Correct. is so important. Yeah. And I really have to agree with your points about um, college not necessarily giving you these valuable skills, marketing, fundraising. And how about just preparing you mentally for the fact that you will have to have other skills to get side jobs while you're doing the auditioning. And even when you're dancing for companies, you need to supplement your income. Yeah, that's the catch-22 of the dance industry because mm. even if you get a decent third dancer from the left job, you don't necessarily get enough pay to afford the cost of living of doing that mm -hmm. or of taking continuing to take class and perform. Like, where does it come from? Yeah. So, and, you know, I did pound the, the, the waiter path for a while, and it was just soul-wrenching, naturally. Mm -hmm. hmm. Couldn't, wouldn't it have been good if I 
what is able to explore. Like I probably would have discovered I like marketing and development earlier on if they would have helped me kind of just point me, maybe not even help me learn about it, but tell me that this is important. Yeah. I probably would have discovered it earlier and maybe would have been interning for, you know, PR firms or whatnot at, the, at an early age too, mm-hmm. you know, just creating right. a different type of trajectory that was maybe a little more efficient. Right, um, and that's the age where you get externships. Right. If you're mm-hmm. trying to get an internship at the age of 30, they <laughs> look at you happened, a little funny. But, and I, I <laughs> yeah. did take, the last internship I took was at Paul Taylor Company when I moved here, and I was 30. Mm. But it, but after that, I'm, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. That was my last one. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. now anything can be called an internship. So mm-hmm. you have to really be careful and as we get older, we really, well, anyone at any age needs to understand the value they have, even yeah. if they don't have quite the experience, you know, where their head is at and where their talents are. Mm-hmm. So this is so interesting. I didn't know you had this whole PR marketing, et cetera, career, because mm-hmm. um, I've just seen the dance and the film and the quirky and the really fun stuff that you're still constantly doing. So help us, help our listeners wrap our head around how you would define yourself as a professional or what uh, the things that you do. Gosh, you know? this is such a good question, Claire. In the 21st mm-hmm. century, it's hybridization. Yeah. Everything's a, a mixture. of like, And I That's don't true. think I've bradgelined myself fully enough yet to be able to concisely answer that question. Sure, okay. But cool. just to, to sound smart, um, as Satra, I'll bring in Satra again, would say uh, the only currency is action, so I guess you are what actions you take. And uh, the scope of what I probably do is I'm a choreographer that dances versus maybe the other way around. Okay. Um, I'm a writer, a uh, showrunner. Public speaker, we got the marketing and development, we got all that in there. Yeah. Um, and hopefully someday I would be impresario of sorts or a mm-hmm. thought leader in modern performance. That would ideally be modern mm-hmm. performance. Yeah, would be probably. Very cool. I feel like what you're doing, I picture modern and I picture something so so much different. Would you put your dance in the category of modern, or do you categorize it at all? Like I, kind of I have such a hard time categorizing the work. I mean, yeah, fair. Because there, every word is so loaded, right? Yeah. So I think sometimes it's easier for me to say to hyphenate dance comedy, but it doesn't mean all I I, I make dances about fart jokes, you know, <laughs> or <laughs> you know what I. It's hard mm-hmm. to. I feel like uh, the word comedy is really crucial or humor is really yes. crucial in my work. Mm-hmm. Crucial. But I find that people, especially in the fine art modern dance, because I pull from modern dance, my modern dance experience, mm-hmm. which is pretty intensive. I went to a very modern school. I was in an extremely postmodern company for quite a while. Yeah. But I also have the jazz roots. So it's it's a hybridization of all those things. And then I have a passion cool. for sketch, comedy, and stand-up. So then that's kind of woven in. Mm. Um, awesome. But I don't want people to be dismissive just because I say dance comedy because not everything I do is laugh out loud funny either. Mm-hmm. But I do employ humor often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We talked a lot with a previous guest, Wendy Seib, who's worked mm-hmm. mostly in theater and uh, well, she, and dance in her career. She's a choreographer, director, writer, and she's always focused on comedy. Or since she found her calling, if you will, right, uh, has also focused. And we talked about some similar trends, like okay. how to define it and um, how audiences have reacted to that has been mm-hmm. kind of her experience has been really interesting with 
it took a while for people to get it or to react in the right way. Yeah, and it is a, a fledgling community, certainly in mm-hmm. dance. Um, yeah. Now there are two comedy and dance festivals just <laughs> in the time that oh, I lived here. I didn't know that. Yeah. Where are they? They're Triskelion many... Arts is the sort of oh, they do a... the source. And when I, I found them, I was just like, oh, New York does make sense. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> but then uh, Shea Bushwick just launched uh, mm-hmm. annual one as well. Oh, I didn't know oh, cool. either. Yeah, so it is happening. And there are, of course, dancers that are funny. Mark Morris has done funny work. Paul Taylor has done funny work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, my the God, Trox, I just blanked I just... on her name. There's the uh, Barnes, Monica Bill Barnes, yes. funny. Mm-hmm. And Sorry. bless them, they're so great. Um, mm-hmm. I do something a little different, which, thank goodness, because I don't want to just rehash their yeah. crap. Mm-hmm. So, or their, it's not crap. I use that word in Loosely. the wrong way. Yeah, Loose. We all yeah, do crap. That's yeah, all yeah. really doing. You know. <laughs> um, well, tell us, how do you use humor in your movement, in I, your pieces? Uh, That's a good question, too, because what is funny? Um, <laughs> I find that surprise, I usually get laughs with mm. surprising the audience, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the content of the work or whether it's the movement and how I spring it on them Mm -hmm. or how maybe I turn and start engaging with the audience. Um, Originally, I found placing classical dance forms, because I'm classically trained, Mm -hmm. which I think people forget just because sometimes the type of work that I explore. Well, classically in modern. Modern and ballet. Okay, from 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 college you did do. Cornish, yeah. Um, So I place high art forms within lowbrow scenarios. That was how I originally did it. So my first full evening film, part of this other origin as a choreographer, um, I placed classical dance forms within a public restroom setting, and I call it Bathroom Follies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it was funny, but there are also some really dramatic pieces in there um, as well. So, And then the next full evening I did was placed in the public transit system. Uh, Recently, so, yeah? Well, yeah, I, I, what happened was I did it in L.A., and then the oh. New York Transit Museum started curating a... Uh, it's like a quarterly yeah, event, which is amazing, by the way. They have one on, well, we might not, the 15th or six, the 16th, okay. but they have them quarterly. Um, and so I already had pieces, and so I told them about uh, those, and yeah. some of them got curated into the work. And then that went really well. So then I took the Shakedown Dance Collective, this other thing I do, mm-hmm. and I created a piece specifically for them uh, with crowdsourced ideas from the public about their experiences, pet peeves, oh. things that happened to them on the subway. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So it had a, it, it has a continuing life. And mm-hmm. the site-specific nature of performing in a vintage subway car, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. It feels amazing. And then the audience is in the the subway with you, mm-hmm. the car. So that's it's cool. really exciting. Yeah. The Transit Museum is really cool. Like, just going into those old cars. I've it's never remarkable. Been. Yeah, I highly recommend it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I was just going to comment on uh, just the comedy angle. Um, and I think that you have to just have a sense of it, which you very much do, because, I mean, maybe you think very deliberately about how you're integrating or creating comedy, and it's cool that, at least in reflection, you can identify what elements have created something funny. Um, but, like, I'm thinking of your piece uh, that I that I saw, your film, uh, First Thing, mm-hmm. and I think what was funny about that was something more subtle like just the the choice to show it was you could call it an element of surprise to show only your face and then just the way you moved and the way you like like you you used facial expression and hand gestures together and just the movement itself seemed funny 
but like also very well executed so it's I feel like it's this interesting element it's a bit of a mystery um and it's a skill it's like an innate skill you have to have a sense of this is funny it is hard to articulate though and I think with that film in particular it's just about for those of you that don't know shame on you but um, (laughs) they will they'll look it up uh (laughs) this film it basically explored that first moment you look in the mirror in the morning and Mm -hmm. all the venomous horrible things that sort of come out about yourself it also was exploring with gesture and whatnot, just me waking up too. So it was like slowly waking up and exceedingly not liking what I'm finding there. Uh, so, but I think people laugh out of recognition and laughing mm. isn't always just to be scientific. Mm-hmm. Laughing's not always uh, because someone thought something was funny. Mm. In social constructs, we laugh to just put people at ease. We laugh to welcome them to include them in what's happening. You'll, mm-hmm. now all of you will notice you're at a party, you're laughing, but it's not because anyone did anything particularly funny. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to create a tone, like an inclusive tone. It's mm-hmm. okay that you're standing near me right now. It's, so there's all these facets of laughing that over the years I've been watching and that's very yeah. interesting I that was, it's more than that. I was just thinking about that last night because mm. I'll go out with coworkers and they always, they start saying like you're so funny and I'm not and I'm like I'm not actually the funny thing about it to me is that I don't say anything I think is going to be funny and then this trend starts where they're like they start laughing Mm -hmm. and I pick up on something I'm doing and I keep doing it but it's really just the fact that everyone's already on edge because we're professional contacts we're not friends so the minute someone says anything a little bit out of the ordinary they pick up on it being funny and you start bonding ding 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 absolutely (laughs) the exact thing I'm talking about and it's funny because I think people are like, oh, you've learned how to be funny. I, it's a, uh, I find, uh, let's get deep. Um, <laughs> Please, it's our favorite thing to do. De- depression and anxiety run in my family. Mm. And I have to say, just in a larger scope of, of emotions, a lot of people are sort of quietly teetering on the brink of some despair of some kind, mm. violence, death, corporate interests, I mean, the world can be very uh, oppressive or overwhelming, and I personally can't seem to take a step without a chuckle. Like there's a, mm-hmm. it's an important psychological thing I'm doing about my life too. And my work, I wouldn't say it's autobiographical, although sometimes it is, mm-hmm. but it is about things that are happening to me every day. Mm-hmm. And I cope, thi- cope with things through humor so my work, I think, naturally sort of mirrors that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that I'm just so funny, but that's how I approach life. So that's also mm-hmm. what ends up informing the work, too, because I'm yeah. doing work about life. Yeah. 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 And um, I do feel like humor in general, similar to what you're saying, is a defense mechanism. Totally. But if you can incorporate it and it helps you have fun with life, it's, it's such a great thing to embrace. It does so many things we're not even aware of. Yeah, even like you were talking about how in, in a social setting, yeah. we use laughter in so many interesting ways just to just deal with moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's reflected in my work. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned a couple of times that you do base your work on everyday experiences, everyday life. I absolutely love that. And life is funny. You mm-hmm. cannot take life seriously. <laughs> totally. And if you do, you're setting yourself up for something. <laughs> right. And I find the work that I do, oh, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I find in the modern dance sphere, which I am sort of one foot in, one foot out of because mm. um, of my background, 
uh, choreographers take themselves so seriously. Yeah. yeah. Desperately so. Oh, and it's so. not even that I don't, but the work also that the weight of that is in the work too. And even, I like doing dramatic work, but it needs some moment of relief. And it's also truthful to life. Like you were talking about how, you know, there's just laughter in every, every, every day is funny, just as mm -hmm. funny as it is hard. Mm -hmm. And I think when people are, modern choreographers are presenting their work, they're forgetting that a little bit and just focusing on the drama. But the drama, I feel, is so much more impactful if there's even the slightest hint of humor, not even laugh out loud, uh, I, you know, I'm peeing myself, this is so funny, <laughs> but like just, if they could temper it a little bit, texturize it a little bit with some humor, yeah. I, I feel like I'm also responding as a contrarian, mm -hmm. responding to the modern yeah. dance sphere with my work in that same way, providing a small antidote, if you will, to that pitfall. Yeah. We all have our pitfalls, so yeah. I, I feel that I'm responding to one of them. Yeah, and yeah. now that you mention it, I feel like whenever, when I'm thinking back to some of the modern dance pieces and conceptual pieces I've seen probably over the past few years, I found I have enjoyed the choreographers who have that nice humor mm -hmm. that comes through the work. It mm -hmm. does make you take a step back and laugh at it, but also question why you're laughing Absolutely. at it in the first place. It's so witty and just wonderful. And that's what we're doing in a, as a modern dance audience. We're thinking. Yeah. We're thinking a lot. Um, because there's an academic element that's woven into modern dance. And so what's great is even a laugh in that atmosphere is something you get to think about. Yeah. And that may take your thoughts in a different direction and inform the work that you're watching in a different way and make it maybe uh, more visceral or come to life a little bit more. I find. I mm -hmm. find. Having trouble. Interesting. <laughs> Hmm. Do you, do you think we're going in that direction? I feel like I feel like the dance world, uh, modern dance world, is moving in a direction of incorporating humor more and more. I feel like it's I getting to be it. kind of no. cool and like it's a thing. totally. Yeah. I've been uh, choreographing for a while. I'm realizing <laughs> yeah. so. This is probably where it started, and it was mm -hmm. my experience in the work I was being asked to do as mm -hmm. a dancer. Yeah. So I think my trajectory was a response to that, and it it That's is new. changing. Yeah. It is changing though. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Um, so I was looking through all of your recent pieces and whatnot that you're working on on your website. And recently you performed a solo, Fear of Missing Out. And I would love to hear more about that, what the process was like creating it, and sort of how you conceptually brought that idea of fear of missing out to the stage. Because that is such a dilemma that all New Yorkers face. <laughs> so we always true. feel like, New oh my York, God. It's so <laughs> maximized in New York. Everyone experiences this uh, sensation of FOMO, yeah. mm -hmm. is the acronym or whatever for uh -huh. it, which I'm finding out some people didn't know, oh. which is um, pretty incredible. <laughs> They're not New Yorkers. No. <laughs> uh, but mm. what's funny is as a choreographer, how it started, it started mm. with the movement. So I was just Dicking around. I'm sorry. I don't know if I can. <laughs> you can say I... whatever you want yeah, on anything. our channel. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I was screwing around, and I just found that I really enjoyed turning around myself a lot. Uh, quick changes <laughs> of direction and weight. Do you know what I mean? Just mm -hmm. the way oh. it felt was so good. <laughs> and then I, and then I realized uh, there's something cathartic about why I'm enjoying this so much because in my life I noticed the. Again, it's always about my life. Mm -hmm. And New York is just, and I've always been the type that I, my 
Google Calendar is stacked within an inch of its life. <laughs> and I was so glad that you guys scheduled this on Google Calendar. I was like, these are my people. Um, <laughs> because I have, that's the only way. And we plan this weeks in advance, too. Well, and so, months. And well, okay, but the <laughs> actual scheduling the date, once sure. we finally got around to talking about dates, mm-hmm. yeah, it was even that was weeks ahead. You had three free in September. This was halfway through August. <laughs> right, that's, <laughs> gave that's us three true. three dates in that's, September. That's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But I knew so that because York. of the calendar. Yeah. But um, what I'm finding is these are all, everything in this calendar is an opportunity. I think I was exploring... Mm. This idea, this burden and the paradox of having too many choices. Yeah. Uh, I used to know this information, but I think it was a study at Columbia they did. You may have heard of this. It was pretty well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the more options you had, and I think they were studying in like yeah. a consumer sense. Yeah. Like, say you're in the grocery aisle and there's 50 mustards to choose from. Yep. Yeah. The people that only had three mustards to choose from were happier, they made the decision easily, and they were happy with what they got. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the people that had 50 to choose from, and I'm probably butchering the exact details of the study, but it was... Probably ice cream, not mustard. Whatever, whatever, yeah. (laughs) Uh, They were really anxious. They took longer to decide, and some of them just didn't decide at all. They just walked away. I don't need mustard. I don't need it that bad. (laughs) Or if they got it, they were leaving going, God, I don't know, maybe that... Maybe that... uh, name a type of mustard spicy must spicy honey Mm -hmm. would have been better than this wasabi what was i thinking that's not gonna Mm -hmm. fit with dinner and whatever like so i that's the like where that comes from i think yeah and i'm so glad you mentioned that study because i think about that a lot oh you do the paradox of choice when thinking about my insane new york life and i think um I forget the fellow's name who wrote the book, The Paradox of Choice, but he based it on that study. And he categorized people as either maximizers or satisficers. If you're a satisficer, then you're happy with, I'm happy with this job that I just got out of school. But if you're a maximizer, you hold out and you're looking for the perfect thing and the oh, perfect yeah. ideal that just doesn't exist. And you're never happy with that thing that you get. So uh, it's so fascinating. The maximizer. That was definitely the character. It was a character, not me, uh, that I was portraying in the piece. FOMO, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it started with the movement, but then it just became a cathartic recognition of my everyday life and how there are so many opportunities. I, I hate the stigma of the phone checking, but I, it's not always just a habit out of or it's not always a habit. It's not always a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Every beep of that phone with all the different hands that I have in all the different possibilities, the opportunities, mm-hmm. the grant deadlines, uh, uh, you know, the applications I've written, the people that I talked to that were interested in what I was doing, even like what us right here, mm-hmm. you were an email alert, you know, that came in. I was like, oh, I would love to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Or you know, this year I went to South Korea because someone sent me an email and said, I loved working with you, blah, blah, blah. We're doing this thing here. Yeah. Come do it with me. The reason I, I am so engaged and divided with my focus is because the, at any minute, that little beep of my phone could change my life. <laughs> Absolutely. I really yeah. feel that way. Yeah. And that's what the piece was sort of depicting and it was really fun, and it wasn't laugh-out-loud funny. It was a postmodern dance I would classify, actually. I was getting okay. back to some of those roots mm-hmm. um, to, to where it was more about where I was in space and the direction and the gestures I was using. So not heavily, not heavy. No, well, there was one high kick, but still. 
Uh, it was more mm-hmm. about what was happening inside as opposed to outside uh, mm-hmm. and w- what little I showed to, to help you understand that. Mm-hmm. But it was also me just booking, running at different points of the stage and mm-hmm. constantly reaching out to shake someone's hand. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, it, cool. that's what I explored in that work. Yeah, and that is part of our everyday lives. And I have found that it people do recognize that, like what you're saying, especially in New York, because I mm-hmm. did to develop it a bunch of uh, showings, informal showings, and so I was asking questions after the we're like, what's your experience of FOMO? And then, and everyone really, the conversation was always really long because everyone had so much they thought and felt about that topic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the piece. I was hoping there'd be a video on your website. Yeah, there, it's, it's, they're coming up. It kind of, yeah, I want (laughs) to do it more places. So it's always, yeah. So you don't write exactly. You don't want to release it too much. Well, and that's, that's fair if you do. And I'd like to see it live. I can't remember what happened that weekend? I had it in my calendar, and then obviously I had the to go to town or whatever. But knew about it and had it in your calendar is enough down. for me. It's enough I, for me. I carry a paper <laughs> calendar. Do you think people would understand what this piece was about if they didn't have a title or a little explanation? And if not, do you think it's important to give them that so that they can contextualize it? I like giving some context, not necessarily the whole thing. Sure. Uh, but I, I don't want to... Is being used the right word? Mystify mm. people. Mystify people. Yeah, I don't. Um, I want them to have some understanding going in, and I love anyone that would hear this and then see it that they would be able to see what was happening with me when I made it. Yep. Because I think ultimately we are trying to communicate something, even if we're doing a bad job at it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think they have to. What I found, which is interesting, is that sometimes I would just call it FOMO at the showings, mm-hmm. thinking everyone knew what that was. Yeah. And then, in fact, that confused them because they didn't know what it was. Whereas in if I would have given them nothing, it's pretty clear what I'm struggling with. I'm okay. experiencing being pulled in two different directions in different orientations throughout the space. Mm-hmm. I think people innately understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so That's I cool. think that they would understand it. And okay. what's funny is the FOMO thing sometimes threw them off because I didn't write the whole thing out. Because uh. I didn't really even think that I had to. But that was kind of a... That was a mistake I think but I, I learned that that's the experience people had so and I ask because we've talked about this in a few previous podcasts I think especially with Brock uh, episode 9 it's up right now and uh, in my very strongly formed opinion people should have a little bit of context or a little bit of information from the artist about um, why the piece has value and I think with something like this a simple title is plenty sure uh, like it doesn't have to be a lot but I I kind of like to have a sense of why the artist thinks it's valuable. And if they if the piece is so self-explanatory or it's just an emotional um, piece, then, then I'm fine with, with no explanation and no words. But um, I think there's kind of a divide over that question because a lot of artists seem to want to put something out and they're really against defining what they're doing in a different language. They're like, sure. the dance speaks for itself. But I don't know. I, I find the question of where the lines are to be very interesting. I mean, I'm on your train with that mm-hmm. whole thing. Absolutely. I, I find it helpful just for framing. Mm-hmm. And my framing with the thing like a title might be a little different than yours. Or the description may bring out something different in me. But at least it gives me a frame in order to view the work of art. I mm-hmm. mean, we frame works of art, do we not? Yeah. It, it, oh, that's that's a personal opinion. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I find, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you, so I don't cool. need to probably say that. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree. Yeah, okay. Awesome. So tell us more 
about Shakedown Dance Collective. Yeah, How did sure. it get started? Okay, that's a long story I'll make short too. Uh, <laughs> I've always loved my adult dance students. They're always my favorite children. So you, hold on. So you started teaching classes at some point? Well, before. I've been teaching classes for forever. Oh, okay. Uh, dance classes. Um, okay. More in LA than here. I've lived here for three years. Okay. Uh, okay. Or a little more than three, something like that. <laughs> they were always my favorite students because they were focused and there to have a good time, and so was I. Mm-hmm. I also, I am very adult. I like adult problems. I like adult conversations. Mm-hmm. And, of mm-hmm. course, the pitfall of teaching dance is often you're catering to, you know, where the market is, which are the little mm-hmm. kids. And I love them, too, and they're adorable. But I always loved working with adults. And then I had the opportunity when I first moved here, I was hired to be a rehearsal assistant on this mm-hmm. massive community line dance event called Le Grand Continental, produced okay. by the Joyce and LMCC, mm-hmm. by this wonderful man, uh, Sylvani Mart. He's in Montreal. And I worked with okay. 150 non-dancers of all ages, backgrounds, sizes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was really healing for me because I found, and this is still true, working with non-dancers, you trip over all the things you loved about dance to begin with and you experience that vicariously through them and it reignited this sort of joy that I think I was missing because Mm -hmm. dance is such a serious Mm -hmm. profession and the stakes are so high for us Mm -hmm. because it could be it could all fall apart at any minute and we don't have the money and we don't have the time and so I found that really healing and I just noted it, put it in the back of my head The, the, the grand thing goes to different cities and does this all over the world and thankfully, I've been uh, brought on to direct uh, the one in Portland, Oregon, and this year in South Korea. Exciting. That's what I did there. Okay. But what happened was these people are also the best audience ever. And they were coming to my work, mm. my performances. And also the director in New York, Deborah Losey, one night after the performance, there's like 15 of them there, and they cornered us. After the LeGrand experience, there are big performances at the South Street Seaport before it went all to crap. Uh, <laughs> so it was a big glorious thing that happened there. And they cornered us and pressured us to, like, where's our, our thing? We want to keep doing this. And so we put our heads together, Deborah and I, and the shakedown emerged from that. Oh. Uh, instead of a one-time performance thing, it was an ongoing performance opportunity. So weekly we would meet have a dance class, uh, and then a rehearsal, mm. and then we would book them performances throughout the city. So cool. And we just have been, and it sort of took off. Mm-hmm. The, the the first film we made was uh, in the Cine Dance Film Festival, and we performed for the River to River Festival, and all kinds of work. We even did a postmodern work piece with them as well, mm. uh, The Great Learning, which so cool. was part of, anyway. But we've performed all over the place, Ecstatic Music Festival, uh, Dixon Place, Yep. The New York Dance Parade, blah, 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 blah. So uh, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And so now I'm sharing my joy of performance and dance with people and engaging them in a new way, which also engages a larger community for dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because that's, that's what so happens. Yummy. They get immersed in my life and what I'm doing, and then they're de facto part of that community. And then now they're just seeing work they never would have seen because they've yeah. been thrown in. Plus, 
let me just make this side note. <laughs> Dance has this pitfall. I'm using pitfall again. It's That's funny. Once fine. you a word it hits your mind and then you just say it, it all day. It just keeps coming. Uh, but I think a, a uh, unfortunate thing about the modern dance community is it's so insular quite often where you have dancers mm. going to watch dancers dance. And so insular. It's such <laughs> an endless cycle and yeah. that mm-hmm. drives me bonkers. Well, mm-hmm. this and, is- yeah, so this breaks that wide open and what happens is, okay, if that's the way that it works, and I think the reason that is, and I want to say this quietly, is that I think dance is probably a little more fun to do than to watch not that it's not fun to watch mm-hmm. but i think we're also vicariously as dancers have that under shared excitement and understanding when mm-hmm. we're watching dance yeah Plus there's a whole business yeah. involved so we're networking we're interesting you know greasing yeah. sweaty dance palms you know mm-hmm. when we go also as besides just enjoying there's all these other factors mm-hmm. but what i've done is i go okay if dancers are what are going to see dance then let's make all these people dancers done yeah, I love all it. you people are now professional dancers. Well, this is what what really struck me when I saw this on your website and saw it coming through my inbox. I've seen people um, get non-dancers together and do something, but they never look that good. So for right. a dancer, it's not that fun to watch. But your group looked really good. And I was like, I think that you're actually working with the same people over and over, like somehow getting some kind of commitment from them for like, a, I don't know, a set amount of time. So or how does it work? There are definitely diehards that have been there from the beginning. But it's a large community, so yeah. the list is over 100 people. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, five to ten that are just whatever, they'll do it. But then you also have these over, you know, 100 other people that Mm -hmm. are coming in and out. Adults have busy lives. Oh, I've got to go sell my mother's house in Vermont. I'll be back (laughs) in two months. Oh, I've got this gig uh, conducting an opera in Florida. I'm going to go do that for a while or whatever. So they're busy. So they kind of cycle through also. Okay, okay. But there are always new people joining it. Um, but I guess for something like the like the transit piece you have on film, you must you had you had a cast like they had to learn the dance and then show up yes. a day. And so the way that it usually works is that we meet two months before an assigned gig. Okay. And then weekly, sometimes biweekly if we really need it, or we get a grant, which did happen last year. Woo! Uh, but where we could actually afford the space. But what we'll do is we'll have yeah the hour class, the rehearsal once a week, maybe twice a week in the two months prior to the date. So we do get commitments for that. Okay. Plus, that's huge. So there's a lot of room, wiggle room, because if people, they're not all non-dancers. Some of them have strong dance backgrounds and maybe okay. got lost, like we were talking about, whether young or old, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so those people might have solos. Do you know what I mean? There's a place mm-hmm. for everyone. Or if someone comes in the last few weeks, it's just their role might be a little less involved. But they still get mm-hmm. to join. It's, again, inclusive, 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 and everyone, anyone. Mm, it doesn't so matter cool. if you suck at dancing even. I don't even. It doesn't matter. It's awesome. We wow. challenge them with it. Everyone is challenged, but everyone is given a role that they can succeed at, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So that's how we sort of orchestrate that. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love that. It sounds like you're also a really good teacher when you are identifying who should or could do what and working with each one's ability to to let your vision come to light. That's exactly true. I also foster, um, I foster, well, I disarm them immediately because (laughs) your body is such a sensitive, personal thing. Hmm. And I I find that's why I think that the times that I've been rejected in dance hurt the most because you're basically 
people are rejecting your body, basically. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't have body you. issues? Mm-hmm. Or Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just really personal. Yeah. And so people are really sensitive and afraid. And even I'm intimidated to go to a dance class I haven't been to yet because mm-hmm. it's so hurtful if you do an awful job or if, mm-hmm. heaven forbid, you know, other dancers are like, oh, you know, that, that <laughs> sideways glance like, Yeah, steps on Broadway. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well said. Uh, So it's intimidating even for dancers who do this in a more serious way. And so I disarm them immediately. I let them know and make them absorb right away that they're going to mess up. Mm -hmm. And I do that in any class that I teach, but now I'm mainly teaching adults. And what I do is I say, Mm -hmm. you're here to mess up. You're doing it right if you do an awful job tonight. I don't Mm -hmm. care. Mess it up. Screw it up. And that already alleviates a lot of that tension yeah Uh, and I also am good at connecting their issues to my own so if like someone has their ribs popped out their alignments funny that's something I struggle with so I immediately Mm -hmm. recognize and bond Mm -hmm. with them over that and so things like that do help to create an atmosphere where people learn over time and it takes a while to break them break them in yeah but they learn still pretty quickly I guess that Whatever they do is great. And we'll make sure. We, I don't want anyone to feel or look stupid. Yes. And there's lots of room to do that because they're all different characters often. They're mm-hmm. themselves, a version of themselves. You know, They're not trying to be the Rocket 5'8 with certain leg height. You know, it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. It's yeah. all, mm-hmm. we're liberated. It's so cool because you're of taking that liberated approach but also taking it seriously mm-hmm. like even to correct someone on their rib alignment is is oh. something that I think a lot of people teaching adults or doing something like this wouldn't do because they'd say oh it's just for fun you just have to pick up the steps but I've always shied away from that stuff a little bit because it's like I think there's something less fun about making it too easy and, and having oh, no yeah. goals and it sounds like you're really hitting this balance and this is probably what I'm noticing in the videos where people look pretty good where you're allowing them to to feel the joy of dance, which comes from having specific goals and having a right and a wrong and really striving for something, but also knowing that it's not going to be perfect and it's all about the joy of the feeling. And what's really funny cool. is that tension that you create by challenging them because they are, I do find you're right, when people work with non-dancers, they dumb things down or maybe even yeah. speak down to them yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And I think we all, no matter what we're doing, need to understand the intelligence of our audience. And I find that by challenging them and actually, they're learning to dance. It's not just a performance system. We are taking class. We put our legs on the bar. We do it all. I give them a full dance class and I always push them. And that's what's exciting them and keeping them committed though, is that you're invested, you know, they really dug in and they're learning something and they're getting better. And as you know, we all know because of, we have dance experience, once you start actually getting better, you have this momentum and this excitement mm-hmm. and then everyone has the shared excitement. Yeah. And then people that watch it see that they're doing a good job and but they recognize themselves and the dancers. So the audience has a shared excitement with the performers because they recognize mm-hmm. themselves. So it's solving a lot of these dance problems that I personally have struggled. It's all about me, really. At the end of the day. <laughs> People are like, God, how do you do so much for us? You know, we're, we're, you know, we're not a real dance company. I was like, shut your mouth. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you I are. Hear and, that again. <laughs> uh, you have something to bring to this, and I'm going to make sure you bring it. So mm-hmm. it's a fun first approach, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's a serious operation. And mm-hmm. I give them 
things that are hard to do uh, in terms of performance as well. And what's funny is they rise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They rise to meet it. Well, this is what I've always found so perplexing and wonderful. And maybe this is the answer to the death of the American dance critic. Oh, yeah. Let's totally get into, get that, into. Yeah. But like I taught um, I taught dance classes at a homeless shelter for a month or a couple months when I was in high school wow. as part of a service project. And cool. I um, and actually, even just in my adult life, I've spoken to people uh, who, who I've met wherever at a party, whatever, and they find out I danced, and they will say, oh, I've done some dance as an adult. I've come to it. And what I n- noticed when I was teaching at the shelter and um, just in conversation with people is that they find that joy and that love for, for dance, for ballet even, Sure. so quickly and it's surprising to me because as a classically trained dancer so much of the joy comes from having a certain level of proficiency like yeah. that's very uh, important to me and because I, I can't remember the days anymore when I didn't have that level and I still loved it and there's some there's got to be something so innate and just so human or biological in the way people respond to um, the structure of the movement and just what you're doing in a, a dance class which is engaging your body your mind and your soul like your emotions absolutely it, 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 but it's always it continues to surprise me that they can enjoy it as much as I do before they have some basic level of proficiency you know there's just something there well that's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying I I sort of realize when starting to work with them in a more serious way Mm -hmm. oh that's why I like to dance and I've even had dancers come and do performances professional dancers and they're like, oh, right, dance is fun. I forgot <laughs> dance is oh fun. My gosh. Oh, my gosh. Which is yeah. such a shame, you know? Yeah. It's so true. And so, again, oh. I there's this mm-hmm. everything that I do is trying to, like, heal or solve <laughs> mm-hmm. these problems that everyone experiences. Because yeah. we're all talking to each other about it. Mm-hmm. But it's time to, like, bring others in on that conversation and and. And I get just as much out of doing it as they get out of me doing it for them. Yeah. So that's how that whole thing's happening. Yeah. yeah. But it's so great. It's such a great reminder. Dance is fun. Oh, I forgot. And yeah, whoops. Yeah. Quotes. That's our quote from this interview. Well, we have a lot from this one, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we can all relate to that. A lot of dancers quit dancing, actually, because oh, yeah. it doesn't become fun anymore. And I definitely have quit for that reason. And mm. I take class still, but... Even then, I'll quit for a few months because sure. it's not fun. But the last time I got back into taking dance classes more seriously, I set a goal for myself that I wouldn't take it too seriously, that I would just luxuriate in the ballet combinations mm-hmm. and just really like live in the A. Paul Mall and just let it happen. And when I did that, actually teachers started paying attention to me more because I was having fun and right. it wasn't about, oh, I have to look a certain way and do this and ballet it's so tricky and I find because I still take class too I have to find I have to consciously remind myself while in the center or even at the bar because we have amazing dance classes in New York City the live accompaniment I'm sorry you forget about that too take that kind of stuff for granted and -hmm. then I hear people that move away and like oh canned music in class is Mm -hmm. so depressing and so uh, removed from the experience and I find I have to consciously remind myself, like pinch myself, okay, why don't I really live, you know, uh, yeah. in this port de bras? And just that simple, like enjoying that little moment, your expressivity and you just dance so much better and you mm-hmm. you emit something that is emotional, which is mm-hmm. what it's supposed to do. Exactly. Totally. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. That's all true, ladies. <laughs> 
Well, as you know, because we've talked about it, uh, there's been a lot of buzz lately about this article that came out in The Atlantic. It was called The, the Death of the American Dance Critic. Um, and Jess and I kind of loved this, especially the Dance Magazine response, because they also, I think they were also getting at something a little bit bigger, which is not just that, uh, feel free, okay. uh, that dance criticism is dead, but that a conversation about dance is dying out. And we all know that we already have a literally dying audience for dance. Um, so if the conversation is dying and ways to pay attention to it are dying, it makes our job even harder to like make people pay attention and grow the audience for dance in order to keep the world of dance growing. So we see ourselves on this podcast making a very active and very deliberate effort uh, to bring a conversation about dance back into what a, however big a light we can we can make it be, and um, you're definitely bringing dance to people who are beyond the typical dance community, as we've just talked about. Um, so, what do you think? Do you think that dance stands a chance? Do you think that there's a revival? Do you think that we have to? Str- it's going to be a long struggle to get people into dance. What do we have to do? There's always a chance. I mean, people root for the underdog. <laughs> yeah. What I will say though is that dancers need to be aware about branding themselves as the underdog as opposed to a victim. That's interesting. Because I did not expect that. What I find <laughs> totally is that because it's so we've talked about it, it's just a Brand brutal w- horrible wonderful slash awful business. I mean, <laughs> it's so tricky to navigate well mm-hmm. uh, and keep intact, you know, uh, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, whatever. So, what I find is dancers and I am done it too. When I say anything that sounds negative, it's probably because I've done it too. So we don't need to be defensive. Let's just talk about it. We brand ourselves as the victim without really thinking about it. We Mm. position ourselves. We present ourselves that way. And who... Who cares? You know? Yeah. Who cares about what was me? It's like so hard. Who cares? No one cares. Now, say if you present yourself as an underdog, so it gives something to root for. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a way to, a, one of the many ways. I have so many huh. solutions for these problems. I love this. Um, <laughs> so that's one of them. I think, first of all, that piece was really smart. I really appreciated it. Uh, because it wasn't just woe is me. It was saying, look, diminishing publishing industry, diminishing middle class, who were mm-hmm. the main consumers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we need to acknowledge that and not feel too brutalized. Yeah. But having said that, I think that dance has a PR problem mm-hmm. from my PR mind. Yeah. So I think that we come across as elitist sometimes, yeah. snobby even. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's alienating to people that could be potential audiences. Yeah. I don't mean people that wouldn't be interested in what we're doing because everyone has demographics that they appeal to. But I don't think that we are maximizing as maximizers. Many of us probably are actually. Bring it Throwback. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Can you give us an example as someone who knows marketing? Yeah. And obviously, how would you make a statement that sounds like you're the underdog versus a victim? How do you make that distinction? Quite literally, like getting nitty gritty here. Now, this is something I would have a two-hour consultation probably about, So, Ooh. and I would come prepared. But <laughs> so uh, making a statement is a tall order at the moment. What I will say is let's work out in. 
let's go from out and work in. Okay. So what I would say is because dance in its most fine art manifestation uh, is academic by nature, that the copywriting that we employ to present our work is really stuffy. Mm-hmm. It's really jargon filled. Ah. It's what this is something I can say though as a tip to dancers that have to promote themselves. With, let's face it, it's all most of us, right? Mm-hmm. A tip to those dancers that have to promote themselves, which is probably you listening right now, <laughs> is that don't take your grant language and repurpose it as your promotional mm. language. Mm, so That's true. an example. Like I, it's not a statement that encompasses the whole thing, but it's an example of the kind of dumb stuff that we do to save time and because we work so hard on it, I know I do it too, mm-hmm. uh, to explain the value to a panel, a highly educated panel, versus just trying to incite some kind of, uh, or trying to entice people mm-hmm. about the value versus trying to rationalize the value. We got to find that distinction, I think, and we need yeah. to we need to all have more fun with our copywriting. Yeah. And you know, that people have such a hard time having fun with promoting themselves. Mm-hmm. And just like you, I can throw this back to your dance class example, where you're like, remind yourself, okay, I'm gonna just really live through this moment. It doesn't. I'm not gonna fixate on all my problem areas or what. Let's just really dance. It's the same mm-hmm. way with writing. Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing. Instead of thinking about, where are my ribs? Where is my head? Oh, my, my ass is always too far back. Whatever. <laughs> yes. Screw it. Let it all go. And you know what? Like you said, the teachers start noticing you. Same thing. Your yes. audiences start getting intrigued. Oh. Right? And you start developing leads. And it's about having fun. Like If, if that's one thing to take away, just... Sit down, maybe start with your grant material, be careful, Mm -hmm. and then go, okay, I'm just going to make myself laugh in every sentence. How can I repurpose? What am I really saying here? Absolutely. You know, and it it has to be skimmable, Mm -hmm. which is the problem. Grants are something you chew on and really have to think about and look at the support material, really grimace over and, you know, and that's appropriate for that Mm -hmm. platform whatever forum also technically you can call grant writing technical writing yes mm-hmm. it is tech i never really thought about it, but that's absolutely true mm-hmm. uh, and you're presenting a business proposal mm-hmm. no your audience doesn't care about your business proposal totally. you know yeah, yeah and i think to keep in mind maybe uh, maybe one reason a lot of artists might shy away from that even if they heard this great advice probably the same reason they don't want to give a description of their piece is that they don't want to dumb things down, right? Ah, but it's not yes. about dumbing down. No. It's about this is, there's a reason people want to see your piece. It's because it's either fun or because it makes them feel something. Or there's mm-hmm. like a message, right? So right. Like, It makes a statement people, that resonates with people. Yeah. And you can have fun doing that. Yeah. Yeah, people look down on marketing. I've had people, when they talk to me about marketing, preface it in this like oh well it's this way of hiding and manipulating no you can't actually make people do what they don't want to do it's really right. hard showing them the value you have to show them the value but how do you do that and i have a tip for that all right so <laughs> the thing i always ask myself is their people's first instinct when they promote themselves is just just uh say the what the piece is about or what's the sort of initial benefit mm-hmm. but that's not really what's going to captivated audience is what's the benefit of the benefit Ooh. and I'll explain oh. I'll try to give okay. an example yeah. I'm not actually great at examples but 
Um, what I will say is like for the shakedown, for instance. Yep. So come, you get to take dance class. You get to be a better dancer or you get to exercise. Mm -hmm. Do people really want to exercise? No. We drag ourselves to exercise. Yes, we feel better afterwards, but that's not the benefit. Okay, maybe that's the benefit. Okay, I'm going to exercise for an example. One example, the shakedown Mm -hmm. does many things. Mm -hmm. And so does the work that you're trying to promote. But no, you're not trying to entice people to exercise or perform. It's uh, what's the benefit of that benefit? So you always have to go one step further and no one does it. Mm -hmm. You've never done it. People listening, Mm -hmm. look at it, that (laughs) copywriting again and go, okay, well, what's the benefit of getting to perform? Hmm. What if maybe people feel invisible? Maybe they feel like a number in their everyday life. And how's, how's a way to be visible, feel like people you're seen and you're heard, perform? And so maybe instead of saying, come to my, come and perform with me, it's like, no, you know, step out of the shadows or hmm. be seen fully, you know, or there's always a way. And that's, I don't know if that's a perfect example, and I don't think I've used that exact thing but it's about going okay what you just wrote down was the initial benefit but what's the benefit of doing what's the benefit of that benefit that's Mm, will take you one step further and get you thinking more creatively humanizing it which is exactly what the the response to men wearing's article in dance magazine said at the very end it was like in order to pull people into dance we have to humanize dance and they even said we should talk to the dance makers themselves so absolutely everything all of us are doing right here but right it's a human humanizing process i think is what's at the heart of this whole discussion and so another Mm -hmm. way to diffuse this dumb idea that you need to be dumber in order to get people (laughs) to watch what you do Uh again this goes back to not underestimating the intelligence of your audience in Mm. fact this goes across the board Mm. with movies with whatever forms of media Mm -hmm. those big blockbusters that dumb down too much their their audience there's something kind of offensive about it for people that actually have a brain which more of them (laughs) do than people think and so it's less about manipulating them and it's more about dance is a great example or any fine art Mm. the people coming to our shows are usually really intelligent really educated people absolutely right so what you can do is you want to appeal to that demographic so in fact the copywriting needs to be smart Hmm. but not technical right so that so i don't i'm splurting out a lot of things but yeah you're touching on a lot of really important points and i appreciate that you're giving great advice (laughs) in the process thank you um but i love this aspect of getting out of the technical and what you were saying about the writing process. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what is plaguing the dance criticism field right now. And Mm. myself included. I'm going to make it about myself in a minute. Let's do that, yeah. (laughs) But um, it's... It's so easy to follow just the regular way of, oh, this is how you should write about dance in general. Hmm. It's so easy. It's so stodgy. I learned from... um, women who are in their 60s you know how to write about dance and they do want you to inflect your own creativity and your own voice but it's so easy to follow that same paradigm Mm -hmm. and um it wasn't until i took a writing class recently actually through the american realness festival it was a writing course all about writing about dance Hmm. and it was taught by claudia larocco sure he's really lovely and she's a poet and likes to um, inflect her poetry i guess in her dance writing as well and i found myself going through the same themes like oh i'm going to write it this way and it has to be this way and i'm going to present a really smart 
review of Jack Fervor's piece that I saw. And I was so blown away by the other people in the workshop. They just wrote these like really personal experiences that didn't follow any format or theme, but it was just a creative piece in its own right. Sure. And so, mm. you know, for me, the lesson was find your own voice, write it in a way that is fun, because if writing is not fun, that is going to read to the viewer. And all Absolutely. you're going to do is turn more people off of the dance world in general, which is totally what's happening. Mm. Um, Interesting. So I wonder if it's also, in, in that vein, if it's also okay to be a little more honest. Like, I sometimes, oftentimes avoid reviewing a show uh, for my blog because I don't get it. I'll watch it and I'll be mm -hmm. like, it didn't really strike me emotionally. Like, I can definitely be emotionally impacted by a piece that I don't quote-unquote get. Sure. Um, when we saw... Not Batsheva, L-E-V at Jacob's Pillow. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I walked out and I was like, I have no idea what just happened to me, but I feel something really strange and awesome. And that's kind of so I wrote about it. But a lot of pieces I'm just like, eh? I, I needed some context. Why is this? I don't, I don't know what just happened. Maybe kind of saying that would be helpful in the field. Of course, you don't want to alienate know, people and well, be you mean. Well, you know what Claudia LaRocco said? That point, and this is such a great point that I take with me, mm -hmm. that point that you feel uncomfortable about, that you're not sure what to do with. I like where you're going with dig this. Dig deeper. That's where you need to focus on. And what yeah. will come out of that digging deeper could be exactly. But I think you have to do that while you're watching it so that you get something out of it. Or maybe some of it, maybe sometimes in reflection, it can be done and it can, you can accomplish something. But sometimes I feel like you have to have to be a little bit more real about things too like to mm -hmm. pull in a new audience to be like hey you know I didn't necess I don't necessarily get something out of everything I see either I don't, I don't know but in that people will rec finally recognize they'll they'll have a sigh of relief you know because yeah. we're all I see this after performances too we're all trying to sound really smart mm -hmm. to the people we're talking to to make sure that we show our sort of academic value mm -hmm. and a lot of people are talking about what they see as opposed to what they feel and say you felt confused. Let's talk about that. That's yeah, interesting, I too. I see. Why do you think you were confused? You know, like, yeah, I keep see what digging. you mean by digging deeper. And people, that will resonate with people. Interesting. And it will resonate with dance audiences because they exist. Mm -hmm. And if we're not talking to them, too, then they disappear. Yeah. And we have this weird extinction cycle that yeah. we're on. And it's if we're just honest, listen, I think... Pop culture people turn their nose at, but the reason people are having really intelligent conversations about pop culture, yeah, and pop culture is becoming mm -hmm. more sophisticated as we go on too. Certainly, Absolutely. this is a golden age of television. Maybe right? we should see that totally. as to our advantage instead of detracting from dance, which is kind of what they said in the article. Yes, yeah. it's. I was totally bringing it back to that because they mentioned that, yeah. and what television and things we're consuming now, even YouTube videos that people are making on their own, there is a. This is a realism period. Um, the things, the topics that are being discussed on the television that I'm watching are so truthful, like mm -hmm. blatantly, painfully so mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's also a surprise and it's funny. And I think we're being bombarded with a lot of realism. And if we're still mm -hmm. trying to sound like we're writing a paper for our professor, we're missing out on this huge opportunity that's to engage such, people. Such a great point. So mm -hmm. wow. I think that's important too. And I also think that dance shouldn't be made for the dance critics. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that it's not as powerful of a, of a platform as it used to be. That being said, I think we should be asking ourselves continuously, why are we the first ones cut though? Mm 
-hmm. because we are. We're the first ones. There's struggle everywhere. The struggle is real across the board in fine art. Mm -hmm. But why are we the first to be cut? And I think we're lagging further behind on that sort of realism. I -hmm. also think, again, to go back to our audiences are intelligent. Mm -hmm. I think like everything now, everything's becoming democratized, you Mm -hmm. know, as as we all have access to platforms that we can share ideas with. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that diffuses Mm -hmm. anything. I think it's empowering. Hmm. And I think anything that you would have to say about even a piece you don't get Mm -hmm. is going to be thought-provoking and interesting and intelligent, right? Uh, Of course. Right? She threw her hair back (laughs) as she should. Yep. (laughs) So I don't have a problem with that, but (laughs) it's about creating those structures with those of us that are generating work. Mm -hmm. We kind of have to create those structures on our own, those calls to action, we have to be really clear with people because people don't know unless you tell them. There's another marketing trick. Mm-hmm. People don't know unless you tell them. You tell mm-hmm. them, hey, like Dance Enthusiasts, for instance, it's a website you, you may or may not know about. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. You have they some have work whole, on there. Yeah, they mm-hmm. have a, a whole forum for dance reviews. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good enough just for that blog or for that platform to exist on its own. you got to go around and tell each, one, each person, mm-hmm. go to this site and write this i know you have something of value to contribute yeah go to this place this space that's made for you it's made for you not for me and share what your you know experience is Mm -hmm. and ultimately aren't we all here just to share ideas certainly with dance criticism Mm -hmm. like that's the best part that's what we're doing and every critic's Mm -hmm. gonna get something a little different Mm -hmm. out of what they see and so are all of us who are informed, interesting often creative intelligent peoples uh, ourselves yeah yeah why don't we just So what? Let everyone get in on the action mm-hmm. and help them do it, I say. Well, I always wish I had a more, I know we're running out of time. We'll get there. Uh, I wish I had a more historical perspective, but this piece mentioned a sort of golden age of dance, 60s, 70s, something. Right. I also feel like I could be totally wrong, factually, but it seems to me like maybe we are also dying out first and we're always cut first because I don't know if we ever really established the same kind of presence as some other arts. Like, hasn't dance always, like, has it always been a little bit specific, you know, to a certain small group of people? I feel like we have more opportunity now with video and, like, images and video especially to really show people what dance is and really market it. That's absolutely true. They, well, in that article, I am not a dance history buff either, and I am ashamed, I will admit. that. I mean, I try, but there's a lot of good stuff I haven't dove into, and my dance history class in college was at 8 a.m., and that just set me on a bad path. But uh, they also teamed that with the sexual revolution, so Mm -hmm. people were finally embracing their bodies in a really open way, and I think that that dovetailed. They said this in the article, I'm not just super smart, but it sounded right that it dovetailed with that sort of emergence of mm-hmm. modern dance, that sort of golden era. Yeah. Um, so, and also the postmodernists were doing such revolutionary things. And I think the problem is it seems like we're out of revolutions. I don't think we are. I am trying mm-hmm. very hard to instigate new ones, but yeah. I feel like people that are still claiming to be really modern and avant-garde are still doing similar things to the postmodernists in the 60s and 70s. Maybe there's no new golden era. Why is it that choreographers are just repeating what the postmodernists did? It's hard for me to say, oh, it's so easy to move beyond that. Why aren't you doing this? (laughs) But it's so repetitive. Where is the new? Where is this refreshing take? But like Mm -hmm. in fashion, trends 
reemerge. Mm. True. So what's funny is right now we kind of hit on this before we started recording, but the '90s are back the in 90s. a serious Whatever way. That was. Mm-hmm. Everything that I knew in my early years has all been reinvented and repurposed and repackaged. Mm-hmm. And same with uh, silhouettes in fashion. Mm-hmm. That Like, the 90s was a play on the 70s. And you can find... It's about... Oh. And I, as I was saying earlier, now everything's been done to such an extent that it's about hybridization. Mm-hmm. So me as a dancer, I, I'm saying to myself, okay, well, I love stand-up comedy and sketch comedy, but I also love modern dance. Let's just slap them together. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I'm creating – people tell me often, and this is not me patting my back because it could be a bad thing or a good thing, mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this is a common thing that I hear. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's what we all want to be looking for. And back mm-hmm. to what you're saying even about writing, all of us, because we have power in these platforms where we can express ourselves in a, in a functionally clear way, I think that it's about finding your voice and you – I was just saying this in another podcast. I've had a summer of podcast interviews. It's been glorious. Really? You guys are great. Wait, this who, is so. Who else is? So <laughs> they're not uh, dance related. Oh, so you guys are. You still have 100 percent of market share to conquer. For me to to, to uh, tap into. Um, but I was just I'm stumbling over this because I just rant. But the we are the intersection of our interests, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the problem with people who stay really singular with dance in a historical sense, academic sense, mm. is that they're not letting their other passions inform the work and theref- mm-hmm. thereby make it new and really express themselves truly. Mm-hmm. As like what you said with writing, it's the same parallel. People are just rehashing what they've seen, what mm-hmm. they know, what their teachers choreographed, you know. And I think that we are our greatest, what is, someone said something like our greatest driving desire is ourself. And mm-hmm. I think we are at the intersection of all of our interests. And I think Dancers avoid that hmm. and thereby leaving hmm. dance in this weird brigadoon where it only hmm. appears for a brief moment and only to mm-hmm. certain people and then disappears again. Oh, it's so true. And that would also explain why dancers are so resistant to when dance does embrace other art forms. Yes. They hmm. just want to call it dance. But if it goes into any other category, they're like, well, it's not really dance, is it? <laughs> but I think with all of us as choreographers are constantly, same with the postmodernists, are trying to answer that question, what is dance? And what we've learned is it can be so many things. If done mm-hmm. right, I, I'm always the voice of the, the snobby classical <laughs> person here, but you're doing it right. Like that like first thing is such a good example. You're sure if I, I have seen others of your films, by the way, but it's just your hands and your face, but it's definitely dance because right. there's rhythm and it looks to me like it's choreographed in a way. And... Just the way the movement is executed is, I guess I would say it's organized, executed movement. And maybe I shouldn't, and I am a little closed off to, like, the full definition that I'm sure a lot of people would be open to. But to me, like, I think, yeah, maybe maybe those are some of the rules for me. There have to be some rules. But it was still something that I wouldn't have said was dance if someone just described it to me. Right. Or most people wouldn't say is dance, so. It was a very so, dense gesture series. Yeah, and so, and you are... Mm-hmm. And you are, dance is communicating through movement, I mean, for lack of a better description. So yeah. it, it was yeah. it, it was highly choreographed. So mm-hmm. it was very dense. There's a lot going on and very deliberately so, which mm-hmm. is probably why it felt like a dance, plus the rhythmic quality. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. rhythm is a big deal for me. It might be part of my genesis as a dancer because I was loved, uh, I was a school band drummer. Mm. That was like where things, middle school, all goes back to middle school. see that. No, okay. <laughs> so rhythm's always been really important and I think I, I utilize that very 
uh, deliberately in that yeah. all, that mm-hmm. piece also to make it feel more dancey. <laughs> Video is a massive, massive, yeah. massive deal. Yeah. The production mm-hmm. of it is daunting. Uh, I find it's actually easier to do live work, but I am oh, sure. forcing myself <laughs> to do films now. And I'm starting to open my mind to just live streaming, which is something you're the company you work for does. Yeah, and I'm more interested in dance film on my own time, which is something I also do. But yeah, oh yeah, you do it well. And even just even just filming a piece that you do in a way that's um, uh, just capturing it really well. You know, yeah. even that can help with the marketing and the promo. Oh yeah, to show people what you're doing. Oh yeah, it's really important. Yeah, you have to film a dance like it's a film. You know, you have to think about. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Right. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, because it's so flat if you just document it, which sadly years of my life just documented footage, and so now I'm trying to make more films. But if you have that footage, I mean, thank God you documented it because, like Wendy, uh, the person who was on our podcast before, who I just helped make her first dance film last week, ah, so exciting, very cool. um, has all her. of these pieces she's made and. So many of them she wants to make in, into dance films. How would she do that? Like she wouldn't. She could maybe remember the piece and know the choreography if she didn't have it documented. But it would be hard to bring people on board. When she said, "Do you do you want to work with me and produce my film?" The first thing I said is, "Can I see the dance?" Right. I didn't care yeah. if it looked nice. Right. No, documentation is important, and yeah. I, Lord knows I want to make all of them into films <laughs> yeah. and do new things. Um, but it is it is daunting, but it is really important. And I think even to take away the intimidation factor, what I found is. Dance can be more relevant, and you can still be authentic to yourself as an artist. Mm-hmm. Say, let's start with pop culture. If that's what's relevant, why don't we live there for a minute? Mm-hmm. And why don't you make a spoof, or why don't you make a response to something you love or hate in pop culture with a dance? You know, mm-hmm. And then you're commenting on this art form in and of itself, which is interesting already, but then you're also informing it with your work, and then people who that resonates with or it pisses them off with can find you that way and you can create a work that's totally authentic to what you're doing but still remain relevant. I think dancers have to be more creative about how we access Mm -hmm. what is relevant and how we make it our own because it's not that we're not relevant, it's that we're just not touching it. We're just not touching it. We're living in this bubble that's floating far beyond what's actually happening in the world. Mm -hmm. So we're not dumbing down our work. We can still be ourselves, but we need to engage with the masses and what's interesting there, what's happening. So Absolutely. And Uh, that starting point, as you said, is yourself. Yes. And you're right. Um, Dancers and people in general, it's hard to find that particular voice i love your quote the intersection of interests that's who we are and you really have to own that and you don't just love dance you yeah. and i think people forget that too yeah. like anything that resonates with you in your daily life anything that because i well up all the time when i see a work of art or watch a show that yeah. just hits something and i try to mo- like remember oh what is it about this aesthetically emotionally thematically And then take that with me Mm -hmm. and draw that line. And so I'm making all these lines and then, oh, my new work is in the center of that. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm going to get the most out. It's going to be the most satisfying for me to produce it. And it will actually resonate with a larger audience. Even if it's a niche audience, it'll hit the bulk of that niche that I'm trying to get to. Mm -hmm. People that are like me, which ultimately are our audience. They're people that are like-minded people. Mm -hmm. So it's about how do you engage them, even if they don't think they like dance, 
if you're like-minded and you're bringing all your influences together, they have an access point. Yeah. And that's always what I'm looking for, as many access points as possible. Not on a mass scale. It doesn't have to be dumbed down to where the common denominator is simple and everyone gets it. It also is just, what are the things I like? Let me find people that like those things and then get them interested in dance. And then maybe yeah. make them dance, too. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's the thinking. That's where I'm... That's where I'm forging, where I'm making ground, hopefully. And we love it. We've defined the philosophy. I think we have to be done now because we are way over time. Okay. But we defined the philosophy, so we accomplished our mission. We did it. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for this letting me just incredible. blow it all over yeah. the place. That's, what, that's the point. <laughs> awesome. We love it. Yeah. Um, and I it's, keep saying we're going to do this at the beginning and always do it at the end, but couple things of promo I guess or just, just so people know uh, information I felt like I mumbled your website many times so um, why don't you just spell it out for people quickly? sure it's jamiebenson.com j-a-m-i-e-b-e-n-s-o-n that's also my twitter handle so you can hit those two birds with that stone awesome and what was the other podcast you were on because we do want to actually be nice to other podcasts and form a community yeah cool. 99% perspiration UK podcast actually oh. ran, into, ran into him randomly here uh, in mm. New York and I recorded something with him and that's all about the creative process and Wow. It's re it's relevant to what you guys are doing, but yeah. different. This show is going to be over by the time anyone hears this episode, but our alumna Tracy Finch is in a show for New Chamber Ballet this coming weekend, the 11th and 12th. Oh, that's tonight and tomorrow. Uh, it's their new season opening up. So everyone, just remember about New Chamber Ballet. Check them out. They'll have another show pretty soon. I think they do it every month or every quarter. So something to remind people about. And then obviously, Pas de P-O-D-D-E-D-E-U-X dot com Obviously. and on Facebook you guys have somehow already found us if you're listening but if you haven't found us everywhere like our Facebook page and find us on iTunes right now and Twitter thanks everyone thank you thank you this has been really wonderful